Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. Have you ever felt stuck before? I remember um, I was uh, driving down to L.A. on the 5. And if it was up to me, I would drive on the 5 at night. Some of you guys don't like that because you might fall asleep. It's the opposite for me. I feel like I'm going to fall asleep because it's so ugly during the day. It's like, turn it off, Lord. I can't look at that. Like That six-hour drive, it feels like 12 hours to me. I just can't even look at it. And so I, I was driving down there. We've got family down there. And so we were going to spend Christmas. And um, I was driving by myself. And I was trying to get down there. And um, this was like when I was like 19, 20 years old. And that was when I didn't really uh, do maintenance checks on my car, right? Um, you know that thing called an oil change? Anyone ever heard of that? She get that done every, you know, three months, right? So, I mean, I don't want to say it could have been two years. It could have been the two and a half year point. It was pretty bad. And... Um, Hey, when you're 18, you think you know it all, right? And so I remember I'm driving down, and then I'm like, that, that smoke? And, and usually, you know, I mean, <laughs> whenever you see smoke in your car, it's never good, right? Or just in general. But usually it's coming on the outside, right? But when smoke is coming inside of your car, you think you're in one of those movies where that's it. It's over. I'm done. And so I pull over, right? <laughs> And I'm one of those, I, I, I jokingly say this, but I'm all seriousness. Um, out of my wife, Lauren, and me, she's more handy than I am. And so I get out of the car, right, and I do the classic guy thing. Just open up the hood, and I know, like, what I was looking for. But I, I got to look like, ah, it looks like something's wrong, right? And so let's figure this out. And so me figuring out, it was me saying, well, I've got two more hours. I think I can do this. It's not game over, right? It's game on. And so long story short, my car did not make it down to L.A. I think I was like, thank God, um, right before the grapevine. And so he kind of saved me one right there. And so let's just say I got a hotel that night, and I went back home the next day, and I didn't make it to Christmas down south. And so that was, that was the game over for me in that moment. And so how many of you guys have felt stuck like that before? Maybe it was in a car. Maybe if you're like me, just that frantic A-type where I'm in the grocery store, where is the shortest line? Has anyone ever done that before? Am I the only sinner in this room? I guess I'm okay. I'll take credit for it. And so, and I, I, I'm always in those awkward moments where I'm looking for like the line that has the least amount of people. And then there's that decision where that other person's coming. And I'm like, gosh, like, am I going to go over there? Am I not? I'm going to do it because I, I have to know if I'm going to get there in time. So I get there, right? And there's that awkward moment where I look. And that person who was already there, they already went through the line. You know, they're not using their words, but they have that look like, you should have stayed right there, man. You would have been right there. I hate those moments. Maybe you felt stuck in a relationship before. And if you have, don't give any nudges. That's not cool. It's between you and Jesus right now. Maybe you felt like in a relationship where you're like, gosh, like, if I could just make this work, but I feel stuck. I can't get out of it. I think we've all felt stuck. Um, in particular moments of our lives. And what it can almost feel like when you're stuck um, for a long period of time, it can feel like a game over. And some of us have felt stuck for a while in particular areas. Some of us have, honestly, have felt stuck in our walk with God. And what can happen is, I think what, over time, is that we can even feel some sort of shame. Like, gosh, I shouldn't feel stuck in my walk with God. When I look at this person, when I look at that person, I should just be 
you know, on fire. I should be like what Pastor Matt said earlier, of singing praises the Lord. But I just feel stuck. And you don't tell anybody about it. You don't talk about it. You just keep going on and on in the motions. But nothing ever changes. Some of us might feel even stuck like in a relationship, like I said, whether in a marriage or in a friendship. And this constant feeling of, I just can't get out. I can't figure this out. What is the deal? Some of us, we might even feel stuck just with ourselves. As in like there's a habit inside of ourselves I just can't fix. Man, um, resolutions were in January. We're going to be in July. Man, those resolutions might have ended for you in February. And I put myself in there too. I'm like, oh, I get kind of half my list, half that list, not, not too much. So some of us, we've been maybe even struggling with the same thing over and over and over again. And we just don't know how to get unstuck. It feels like a game over. And I think what a lot of us would agree with is that the worst part of feeling stuck is the feelings that it does inside of us. See, what happens when we're stuck externally, we're going to start to feel hopeless internally. And that's why feeling stuck for a long period of time can just drain us and drain us. Because it gets to some point where we just don't have any hope. But it's just not going to get any better. And really, if you were to define hope, it's the eager expectation that something new and great is going to happen. But when you're stuck for a long period of time, those feelings start to overtake you. And then hopelessness overtakes your heart. And it's hard, it's hard to navigate that. It's hard, it's hard to really, uh, like, just get away from that. But, here, but here, here's a tension I think all of us, I think, can, can relate to. Is that when we feel stuck externally, we'll often look for an external solution to it. Which keeps us stuck. Where, gosh, if I just, if I just had that right person in my life. If I just had that right amount of money coming into my bank account. If I just had that right whatever it is. And how many of you know that an external solution can't solve an internal God problem inside of our hearts? A God need, I should say. A God need that only God can feel. And I don't know about you, but when I feel stuck in the process, I just wish God would take out his magic wand and go a flicker here, a flicker there, and then I'm good. You guys know what I'm talking about? Where it's like, man... I need more money. I'm a little broke. God, can't you just go like this and this? And we're not asking him to teach us better money habits. We're not teaching him to help us to tithe. We're just saying, God, give me a wand. Make it better. And we're like, God, bring me that special person. Bring me that one. Bring me that person that's just going to complete me. But we're not praying, God, make me into the right person. We're not saying, God, those last five relationships that ended within the last five weeks, do something inside of me. We're not, we, we usually don't pray those types of prayers or even in our marriages. And for those who are married, you ever had like a, a fight inside your head with your spouse? Am I, am I the only sinner in this room? I guess I'm, I mean, don't, you don't have to raise your hand there. <laughs> I'll raise it for us, okay? And so I remember, I mean, how come it seems like whenever you're having a fight with someone in your head that you always win? You guys ever notice that? You, you just win every single fight. 
And it's like instead of saying, God, what can I do to make this? Instead of, instead of always trying to be right, we should be praying, God, how can we make this right? But a lot of times we, just, we want the one. God, just fix it. Just fix it. Or we have those moments in worship where we're crying out, God, do something new. I'm stuck. I can't do this. But we're not saying, God, my habits, my routines, where my heart, where my heart is postured on Monday, do something different in that area. It's a, it's a completely different scenario. And so what God wants to do is he wants to do more than just give us a one. He wants to give us a path of discipleship to grow us. And if you're new to church, man, you're so welcome here. Because when I say discipleship, that simply means to walk with Jesus. Because Jesus didn't die just for us to follow a set of moral rules to make us into better people. He died on the cross, rose again, gave us new life so that we can walk in new life and in relationship with him. And so you don't want to want because then your external behavior is going to change, um, it might change, but really the heart transformation isn't going to happen. And so another problem with the magic wand um, solution and scenario is that we often, and you can probably relate to this, We'll often focus on the things we can't control, but then we'll often forget about the things that we can control, and then we'll stay in a place of being a victim. In other words, the things that we can change, ah, I'm stuck. I just can't do this. But we often focus on the things that we can't control. Man, if this were to happen, if this were to happen, it's like, gosh, if we just focused on the things that we could control, then God, God would just do the rest. Because here's what's at stake. If we just focus on the external, we're not going to confront the things that we can change. We have to be able to have that perspective. And so what I want to talk about today is the life of Elijah for a quick second. Is Elijah felt discouraged. Elijah felt um, just in the dumps. But here's the crazy part. As we read in 1 Kings 19 today. The chapter before, we see a powerful move of God in this story. And I don't have time to go through the whole story, but long story short is that the prophet Elijah stood up to King Ahab and to all the false prophets of Baal. And pretty much with his holy swag and, um, and all the power that he had, pretty much Elijah said, all right, guys, here's what's going to happen. It's we're going to see who the real God is. And so you make a sacrifice, I'll make a sacrifice. And the God who throws fire down and consumes the sacrifice will know who the real God is. And so long story short, the prophets of Baal, they spent the whole day, come on, Baal, do something. We're waiting. And man, Elijah, man, he was a boss. He was like, where's your God? Is he on the toilet? Can he hear you? Why don't you shout um, high enough? And so we, most of us know the story. The fire came. It consumed the sacrifice. And then... Elijah was like, oh, what a powerful moment for him to experience this. But in the next chapter, look what happens. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you have killed them. So Elijah gets off this mountain high of the spectacular move of God. It is just incredible. But as he comes down this mountain, he's faced with opposition 
from Jezebel. Oh, you, you want to take out my prophets? Okay. Well, if you're not out of here by this time of the day, you're going to be dead. And then we're going to read later on in a second that Elijah fled for his life because he was afraid. And I think it's so easy to read that text. Like, Elijah, you just called down fire from heaven. Like, what happened? But I think what can happen as well is that we can be on those fire mountains with God. But then life happens, fear hits us, and it's so easy for us to doubt the work of God in our lives. It's so easy to do that. And so, but what I want to encourage us with is this, as we read this passage more, is that the enemy will oppose you. That's no question about that. And when I say the enemy, if you're new to church, I want to explain that. That means that we just don't uh, believe in the presence of good. We also believe in the presence of evil in a person named Satan. And we're not afraid of Satan because Jesus has destroyed the power that he had. But it doesn't mean that we have an enemy that wants to oppose us, to steal, kill, and destroy. So we have to be watchful. But check this out. The enemy will oppose you, but opposition is not your enemy. I'm going to say that again. The enemy will oppose you. There's no doubt about that. But opposition isn't your enemy. Because God will always entrust those who are faithful, that long for him, that live for him. Man, I, I, I know he's faithful. I know what he can take. I'm going to let him be opposed right now. Because I know if he's opposed, he's going to grow, he's going to get better, and it's going to build their faith. What we shouldn't be afraid of is opposition. What we should be afraid of is apathy. Because what could have easily happened when Jezebel's like, you know what, Elijah, you're going to die. I'm going to kill you. It would have been so easy for Elijah to be like, you know, I'm so sorry, Jezebel. I didn't mean to kill all your prophets. I'll tell you what, this whole fire gift thing, I'll use it for you now. I'll, I'll do the Jezebel thing and I'll just surrender my life to you. This whole Jesus thing, I'm not, I don't have to do that anymore. Opposition isn't your enemy. Apathy is. So even Elijah's had his moment of fear and running away, opposition is meant to grow our faith, not for it to decline. And so we don't have to be afraid of opposition because God wants to use that. So, so the story continues. Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in uh, Judah, and he left his servant there. Remember that. Then he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. And so what happens to Elijah is he gets that threat from Jezebel. He runs out of fear. He leaves his servant down, and then he goes alone, traveling all by himself. We can look at this small pas uh, passage, and for me, I see that there's ingredients of when there's a game over. Because what tends to happen is that when we read this passage um, later on, it's going to show us why Elijah stuck. But we're going to see some ingredients in here where a lot of us, if we were to trace back why we feel stuck right now, one or all of these three are probably in the mix, okay? So let me explain. So one of the first stuck ingredients that Elijah experienced is that he was running away. If you feel stuck right now, if you were to go back, was there a moment that you ran away from something that God wanted to initiate in your life? Was there something where it's like, gosh, like, and I'm not saying every single time, but a lot of times the reason why we feel stuck is because, I don't know about you, but I can have squirrel syndrome. Squirrel, 
squirrel, right? And that can translate spiritually too. Where God's like, I want you to do this. Oh, that sounds great for a week. And I'm going to go over here, right? And God's like, I want you to do this. Oh, that sounds great for a day. And then it's like, what did God last say that we've forgotten that he wants us to be faithful with? Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I can be sloppy with what God tells me sometimes. Where it's like when God gives me a word, it's not just a word for a day. It's a word for a lifetime that he wants me to live out. So sometimes we can just run away. Second is that we uh, leave responsibility. It's really subtle in the text, but Elijah ran away, but he also had his servant with him. And he's like, you know what? We can't do this anymore. Go home. I got to do my life alone right now. That servant was somebody that he was discipling, that he was investing, that was a priority. But because he didn't know what to do, because he was stuck, he let go of his priorities. And I think a lot of times, too, when we often feel stuck, our priorities start to diminish as well. Where when family time used to be a value, I just don't know if I, I can do that anymore. It's just not really, my, my, I, I'm just way too busy. Church could have been a priority, but as life started ramping up, you started ramping down because you couldn't handle it anymore. And so what can happen is when we run away, we we sought to leave responsibility down. And that's not how God wants us to live. And last but not least, stuck ingredient is that um, we isolate. For the eight types, um, forgive me for the I not being capitalized. It's killing me right now. Um, but what tends to happen, <laughs> what tends to happen is that we, we isolate. So Elijah, he ran away. He let go of his responsibility. But then he walked all by himself traveling solo. A big reason why a lot of us feel stuck is because we're around people, but we're not doing life with anybody. Where they know what job we have, they may even know what church you go to, but they don't know what's happening inside of you. And I get it. You don't want to trust every single person. Because honestly, man, uh, Jesus tells us don't cast your pearls to swine. Now, don't use that a passage to call your friends pigs, okay? It's not what I'm telling you. That is a misinterpretation, okay? I'm warning you. I have this on SoundCloud right now. And so, but what, but what I am saying is there are people in your life that God has put that you can trust, that you can share your life with. And this is why small groups are such a big deal here. And this isn't some hyped up, like, hey, you know, join a group. Like, we don't get any more commission, you know, for you join a small group. But what we get is the satisfaction of you getting plugged into community. Because the word of God says that two is better than one and a quarter to three is not easily broken. And what can happen is that when we do life alone, we isolate, we're left to our own wisdom. And Proverbs tells us in the counsel of many, there is wisdom. So I want to encourage you. Have you been running away? Have you been dropping responsibility? Have you been isolating yourself? Those could be a recipe for you being stuck. The passage goes on where Elijah says this. Elijah sat down under a solitary broom tree and he prayed that he might die. Now, just, just think about this. This guy was on the highest of highs. Fire came down, which really 
was a representation that God was with them. He was working. Fire in the Old Testament represented God's presence. I mean, nothing could have been more of a high for Elijah than the day before. But the very next day, he's praying, God, take me out. I'm done. And so if you, if you feel that same way, it's that you're stuck. You just don't want to keep going on. And honestly, when I read this passage um, this week, I was just reminded of all the suicides that have been happening lately. It just breaks my heart to know. And again, this isn't a shot towards Hollywood at all. So I'm thinking about Kate Spade. I'm thinking about um, the other gentleman, the cook. I'm sorry, I can't remember his name right now. Thank you. Um, is that celebrity-wise, it can, it can be so tempting for us to look at a person and feel like everything looks good on the outside, but internally, they're hopeless. Internally, they feel stuck. And so I want this to encourage you today. If you're feeling like, God, I just feel so stuck. Nobody understands. God does. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. And now we're getting into um, his mind now, where externally he is um, solo, he's isolated, he's running away, he's letting go of responsibilities. But his thoughts are this, I've had enough, Lord. I'm no better than even my ancestors. Elijah's real battle right now isn't what's happening around him, even though that's crazy, but it's his thought life. His thought life is keeping him in a cave. And how many of you know that your life will never rise above your thoughts? I'll say that again. Your life will always go to the high or the low, the depth, the level of your thoughts. So if you're thinking, gosh, you know, I'm never going to get out of this. I'm just going to be stuck. My life is horrible. Guess what? Your life is going to live right up to that point. It can never go any higher than that. And, and again, I know the whole self-help deal, like change your thoughts, change your life. Can I tell you they got that from the Bible? That I'm not preaching self-help. I'm preaching reality. And even um, the brain will confirm this. Where if you look at someone's brain, so many studies have shown this. Where the brain, uh, and this has actually been through recent studies the last 20 years, is that we used to believe that our brains were, were fixed. As in the the pathways in our brain couldn't be fixed. But if you think the right thoughts, if you believe the right things, because our, our brains were not wired for fear. Our brains were wired for love. If we believe the right things, if, if our thoughts are in line with the gospel and who Jesus is, he can change the way that we think. And so if we see Elijah's life, your life will always rise to the level of your thoughts. So my question is to all of us, including myself, is if you feel stuck, look at the steps, the pathway of your thoughts this whole time. Have they been negative? Have they been positive? Have they been godly? Have they been ungodly? What do your thoughts reveal about your journey right now? You know, um, when I was, I want to say, I want to say about five years ago, I was talking with my best friend. His name's Eric Ford. I hope you guys meet him one day. Um, so before we were pastoring here, we were pastoring Fairfield, and uh, my best friend Eric and his wife Megan, they lived in Pleasanton. They lived in, and we lived in Fairfield, right? And so God moved us here two years ago. We moved to Pleasanton, but right when we moved to Pleasanton, you know where they moved? Germany. Yeah. Yeah. Like, awesome, bro. Cool. And, and, and he had a good excuse, like, he's, he's a missionary now, and 
um, you know, doing great things. But still, it's like, who does that? You know, your best friend comes to Pleasanton and you go to Germany. I'm still not, I'm still not happy about that. But you know, what is, you know what is fun, though? He is coming back into town in August. And you know where he's moving to? Kev, you got it right earlier, Fairfield. I'm like, all right, bro, I see what you're doing, right? I'm going to go to Germany next month. No, I'm not going to Germany. That'd be horrible. Um, no offense to Germany. I, I just love this area. And so all that to say, <laughs> rabbit trail, I'm coming back, <laughs> is that, you know, we were talking a couple years ago. And um, Eric's a fun guy because, like, um, he'll be really honest with me. And I need that. I, I like that directness. And he was like, you know what, Chris, when I first met you, I didn't like you at all. I'm like, that was a surprise to me. I thought you liked me in the, in the front. Okay, that's cool. So I said, why, why didn't you like me? I, I'm, I'm curious. He's like, you are so stinking sarcastic. Like, I, I couldn't take you seriously at all. Like, everything was a joke. Everything was just like, you know, you had to make a joke about this. You had to make a joke about that. And it made me feel like I wasn't important. And I don't know if he was trying to make me cry, but I felt the tears welling up, you know. I'm like... I would never want to make you feel that way. But honestly, it, it had me go on a journey. I'm like, Lord, like, was I really like that? Am I still really like that? And what God started to show me is that I would use my sarcasm as a defense because I couldn't get close to people. So when someone would get close to me, I would think to myself, oh, you're getting too close. I got to think of a joke. I got to think of something, like, really snappy right now. And I would say it. And you know what? They would back off. Oh, praise God. Okay, cool. Good. You got a little too close. I didn't want to do life with you. And what that reveals to me, on the external, it just looked like, you know, oh, yeah, you know, funny guy, sarcastic. No, deep down, I was sad. I was broken. I was immature. And I couldn't rise above my thought life because of that. And by the grace of God and by my friends showing me that, I started working on my words. I started working on my thoughts. And now for me, man, I like to have a good time. I like to, you know, joke around. But I'm super sensitive to that now. I'm like, oh, like, are you okay? You know, oh, yeah, I'm okay. Okay, okay, praise God. Because I know that, man, I don't want to be seen that way. And so in the same way, if you can take an inventory of your thoughts, you'd be surprised what God will show you. And here's the powerful thing, is that you may not be able to control every thought that comes into your mind, but you can control what you do with it. And I love what 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. You know what that means? That means that your thoughts need to get trained up. Your th- you need to put your, your, your thoughts through CrossFit, okay? You got to put, put them through a regimen, because if you just go with the flow and let your thoughts do whatever they want, they're going to control you. And can I set someone free right now? It's just because you thought it doesn't mean you have to believe it. And so our thoughts, man, if we put them under the authority and the overwhelming power of the authority of the scriptures, God will get it right. God will get our thoughts right. But we have to, and that's why, man, we so encourage you to get into the one-year Bible. Because as you consume and let the word of God flow through your heart, God's going to fix your thoughts, which is going to fix your heart, which is going to fix your life, and you're not going to want to regret it, okay? And so... We have to allow God to change our thoughts. So as the passage continues, and this is a long story, so I want to uh, bring, bring this down a little bit. And so basically what happens is that God comes to Elijah and he feeds him supernaturally. 
and then Elijah falls asleep. And then God feeds them again. And he's like, Elijah, don't fall asleep. You got to go on a journey, okay? So he has him walk for 40 days and 40 nights. And what's incredible is Elijah's, he's good. Because it was a supernatural part of God giving him that food and having him walk for those 40 days and 40 nights. And I'm looking at that passage, I'm like, wow, it's so possible for you to be so discouraged, so hopeless, that God could be working around you supernaturally. You could be walking with him for 40 days and 40 nights, and it's easy for us just to miss that. As Elijah didn't even know. I'm like, wow, okay, yeah. I'm walking 40 days and 40 nights, like no big deal. That's a big deal on just a Big Mac, okay? That's pretty incredible right there. And so the passage continues. The Lord said to Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? How many of you know when God asks you a question, he knows the answer. He wants you to ask that question. Elijah, what are you doing here? And this is what Elijah says. Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and have killed every one of your prophets. And I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. What's crazy is that that wasn't true at all. God had hundreds ready to go. He had hundreds of prophets ready to go in the storm and he was set up. But because Elijah had his own filter and had his own thoughts, he didn't know what to do. And here's the key, is that deception is when our trust is in, in our own interpretation and not God's. Say that again. Deception is when we trust our interpretation of life over God's. And so because Elijah had been so discouraged and doing his own thing, he's like, you know what? God, I'm the only one. And if I go out there, I'm going to die. He's like, no, no, no. You're letting yourself interpret this and not me. And this is the grace of God because God could have just been like, Elijah, you're crazy. What are you doing? He doesn't even speak uh, directly into it. This is what he says. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. Keep going. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Could you imagine if you're alive, you're like, God, what are you trying to do right now? Fire, wind, like what are you trying to do? Continues. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in the cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Get this picture in your, in your head. Is that Elijah, stories before, he would stop the rain. He would call down the rain. A couple of days before, four years before that, he would call down the fire. And what God was trying to show him, Elijah, I don't want your trust in me to be in a particular sign or something that I did yesterday. Elijah, I just don't want you to be dependent 
on the outward signs that you're looking for, this magic wand thing that you're expecting. Elijah, I don't even want you to put your comfort into something that I did yesterday. I want it to be in me. And so not the wind, not the earthquake, not the fire, but this gentle whisper. And if you look at the Hebrew, studies have shown that this is one of the hardest passages to interpret. Some interpreters even put this passage, that phrase, as in still silence. How many of you know that God doesn't even have to say anything, but he can still speak to you in those moments? And so nothing will be more stable or secure than God's character. And that's what God, that's what God wanted to do in Elijah. Elijah, I don't want you to put yourself, your trust in the fire, in the rain, or any of these things that you have maybe put your hope in. I want it to be just in my character. Because here's what happens. When Jezebel comes and says, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to get you, instead of fear rising up, you're going to turn to my character. You're going to turn to my heart, and you're not going to be shaken in that way. I'm going to ask the, the worship team to come up. I want to end with this story. Um, some, of our, some of our leaders, we were able to go to Fresno um, the last couple of days. This thing called the Kairos Conference. Um, and Kairos, simply put, um, is for you uh, to really just get the junk out of your heart. How many of you know that when you get saved, God still needs to do some stuff inside your heart <laughs> to, take, to take the gunk out? And so we were having um, a ministry time, and I was praying, and we did a session on rejection. And I've dealt with rejection for a big part of my life. So I knew that God was going to speak to me in this moment. And um, so it was ministry time. I had my eyes closed. And all of a sudden, God just gave me just a flashback of all these different moments where either people had rejected me or I felt like I had rejected myself. And I, and I was getting emotional. I was crying. I mean, it was, man, boogers were everywhere, guys. It was, it was crazy. And... And I remember the Lord just gave me this picture. Uh, and this is kind of personal, so um, give me some grace here. But I remember I, I had this picture of myself as just a little boy. And it w I had a, a black coat over myself. I had my head down and I had the hood over my, my head as well. And just this, this, just this feeling of just rejection, rejection. And it just started making me cry. I'm like, God, do I really see myself that way? Is that, is that what you're really doing inside of me? Like, like what is happening? And then I felt the Lord asked me, I want you to take that coat off. I want you to put it into a box, and I want you to give it back to me. And I'm like, okay, Lord. And I remember I, I, I took it off of my head. I put it into a box, and I gave it back to him. And I remember I felt so vulnerable. As in, it's just so easy to live in that fear, to live in that rejection, and just to stay there. And then as the Lord started speaking to me, I'm like, Lord, what do you want to give to me in return? Like, what's the truth that you want to speak to me? This is where it gets kind of fun, is I felt like God had put um, armor on, on me. And the best way to, for me, because I'm not a picture person, I'm a word person, the, the best way for me to put it is it looked like Thor's armor. And I'm like, Lord, if you want me to look like Thor, I'm cool with that. Like, I'm, I'm down. But I remember I, I started, I looked at that, I, remember, I, knew, I knew exactly what the Lord was speaking to me. Chris, I've called you to be courageous. I haven't called you to compartmentalize. I haven't called you to just be isolated. I've called you to be courageous. I've called you to be confident. I've called you to be a protector.
So because you've let this um, go, I need you to step into something new in this season. And what I felt like God was saying to me in that moment, but Chris, I put this on, but you have to think it, you have to believe it, and you have to walk this. This is just the beginning, but now you have to walk this out. And I tell you that to encourage you with this, is that God did something new inside of me, but now this is the walking out process. And I believe God is speaking something new inside of you too. And look, at, look what happens after Elijah did this. Passage continues. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. This is why this is so significant. Is that when he went back the way of Damascus, you know what he did? He found a new servant. His name was uh, Elisha. And what happened was is that he dropped his servant because he, uh, he was afraid. But then he picked one up because now he had new vision. And if you want to get out of your game over, you have to go back to what God has said. Say that again. If you want to get out of your game over, you got to go back to what God has said to you. See, for me, I got that picture from the Lord, but now I have to go back to those moments. I have to go back to my own life, and I have to work that out. It's the same thing with you. What is God speaking to you? What is he doing inside of you? Go back to where you left responsibility. Go back to where you started doing life alone. And then live out what God has spoken to you. That's going to be the game changer. It's going to be your thoughts.